So hands this morning, feet in the evening, and feet have to be one of the ugliest parts of the body. I mean, I've never seen a spleen, and it sounds pretty ugly, but I'm pretty sure feet would ironically be up there. They are weird looking, especially my feet. I'm not going to get my feet out, but take my word for it. You could probably check with Ellie, my wife. She would say, Dom has really weird feet. But we all have weird feet because they're weird. We don't usually describe feet as beautiful, or at least I don't. If I asked you to picture something beautiful, I'm sure you would go for a sunset or a forest glade or a flower or some artwork. Not feet, because feet aren't beautiful. And yet, listen to Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Isaiah speaks of these beautiful feet. Beautiful not because of what they look like, but beautiful because of what they bring. They bring a brilliant message of peace, good tidings, the message to Zion, which is God's people, your God reigns. What an amazing message. What a beautiful message and therefore beautiful feet. Don't we need reminding of that message today, tonight? With wars waging around the world, the cost of living crisis looming, the NHS on life support, our communities uninterested in Jesus and church, brothers and sisters in Christ suffering around the world, we look at the world and we might conclude that somehow the good God who created all things, maybe he's been dethroned. Maybe his authority has been usurped because it looks like wickedness is winning. It looks like chaos is king. But beautiful feet bring the good news that your God reigns. That is still true. Your God reigns. Now, I don't know what state your feet are in. I'm not going to embarrass you, embarrass you and ask you to take your shoes and socks off. But I wonder, are they pampered? Where's Nigel? I reckon. I reckon. I can imagine perfectly trimmed nails, every unsightly hair plucked. I can imagine they're nice and soft and supple. Beautiful, I'm sure. Or maybe our feet need a bit of TLC. But what about Jesus' feet? They mustn't have looked very nice, considering all the walking that he did. Every story in the Bible, he's walking somewhere else, isn't he? They were working hard, his feet. Huge distances, probably very basic, rough terrain, hot weather. They must have been a sight to behold, but not in a good way. And yet, Jesus has beautiful feet. He is the one that Isaiah speaks of in Isaiah chapter 52. And we're going to be thinking about, focusing our attention on Jesus's beautiful feet. Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, knew how beautiful Jesus's feet were, didn't she? Because what did she do? She took her most precious possession, which was this incredibly expensive jar of perfume, and she went to Jesus with it. She breaks the jar. She doesn't care about everyone else watching because all she's focused on is Jesus and his, her, his feet particularly because it's at his feet 
that she pours out this precious perfume and the aroma must have filled that whole room and then she dries his feet with her hair. Judas, one of the disciples, saw her act of pure devotion and grumbled. Can you imagine it? He thought, what a waste. But Mary knew that nothing was a waste for Jesus. Jesus' feet were so beautiful to her, not because they looked anything special, but because they had brought Jesus to her. And Jesus had brought the best news to her. And that good news that Jesus brings brought Mary eternal life. That's why Jesus' feet were so beautiful to Mary. And tonight we're focusing on probably the most famous thing that Jesus' feet ever did and the good news that they carried to the disciples. It's right after Jesus had fed the thousands with a boy's packed lunch, two fish, five loaves, and he sends his disciples into a boat to cross the lake whilst he went up on the mountain to pray. We know from Mark's account that Jesus went there to spend some quality time with his father in prayer. And that is a strange thing. Maybe you're used to the story and you don't recognise the strangeness of it. There is this mass of people who are cheering Jesus on. They're so positive about him. Jesus had just performed this amazing sign, feeding thousands. The crowd believed he was the prophet and wanted to make him king. And Jesus says goodbye at that point. He dismisses the crowd, sends the disciples off in a boat, and he goes up on the mountain alone to pray. We would think, no, now is the time to seize the opportunity whilst Jesus has all his popularity. This is the time to capitalise on it, keep the hype train going, the momentum flowing. That's how we operate. The thing is, Jesus wasn't seeking the approval of people. He was after God, his father's smile. He didn't come wanting to be liked. He wasn't needy like that. He came to save by the way, if you're chasing the attention and validation of others, you will never be satisfied. Some of us here who might be a bit older will probably nod our heads and think, yeah, it's pointless chasing the approval of others. That's why maybe as we get older, we don't care so much about what other people think. But as you're growing up, you really care. You want to be liked by your friends. You want to be liked by your teacher. But chasing the approval of others will always leave you, well, it will never satisfy you. It's like chasing the wind. You can't get it. You think you're nearly there, but there's always more. There's always more people to get the approval of. You can always be more liked. And what you're really after when you're looking for the approval of others, when you want to be liked by others, you're really searching for the love of God. And that can't be earned work your way into God's good books Jesus came to save you to make you God's precious child and that's what you're after so you can know that for free in Christ now moving on as we have a look at this Jesus at this time critical time in ministry we see something of the importance of prayer don't we I don't know what gets in the way of you spending quality time with our father, but Jesus had so much opportunity 
to do far better things than I ever will have. And Jesus says, enough's enough. And he goes off alone to spend time with God. And maybe you need to stop and pray. Maybe you need to carve out some time to spend some quality time alone with God. Without your phone, without any distraction, take a breath. Because that's what Jesus did. If we're going to follow in his beautiful footsteps, that's what we must do. Someone once said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Prayer is vital. Jesus knew it. We need to know it too if we're going to follow him. Meanwhile, the story goes on. The disciples were not having an easy time, were they? They must have been exhausted from the extraordinarily busy day of ministry. Imagine being one of the 12 disciples on the day of the feeding of the 5,000. That is going to knock it out of you for a week. Handing out all that miraculous bread and fish to all those people. And when you think you're done, Jesus says, what? Don't forget to gather up all the leftovers. <laughs> so you have to go around everywhere else again, collecting 12 basketfuls of leftovers. It would have been physically and emotionally and mentally draining. And now it's late. It is dark. They're in a boat, probably not saying much to each other because their energy is spent. And although at least four of the 12 disciples were fishermen, and so they knew their way around a boat expertly and they knew the lake like the back of their hand not even the experts could predict the incoming storm or pilot the vessel during it they were in trouble big time which tells us something of how severe the storm must have been they had already gone some distance from the shore Matthew's account tells us they had reached the middle of the lake it was then that the wind picked up and the wind was against them, we read. It's nice when you have a gentle breeze blowing and it's going the same way you are. So it gently just ushers you along. You're like, oh, thank you, Lord. That's lovely. Makes it easier. But it's another matter entirely when you've got a gale blowing in your face and you're trying to get somewhere. And it's bad enough when you're walking and the wind is blowing at you in the wrong direction. But what about if you're in a boat? It's going to be a nightmare. The wind whipped up the waves. If I was on that boat, my share of the five loaves and two fish would definitely be over the side of the boat, splattered against it, because the sea was choppy. It would be stomach churning, rough and wild. And it's all at night, so you can't even see what's going on. It sounds pretty grim. The last thing you want to deal with after an exhausting day Sitting back and using the sail wasn't an option, so they were straining at the oars, trying their best to push on ahead, but it was all hopeless. It must have been incredibly discouraging. You know how discouraging it can be, don't you? When you put all your, your effort into doing something and doing it well, but it's not having any effect. In fact, you're moving backwards. Have you ever had that? You're doing the best you can, and it's all pointless. You're moving backwards. Well, that's what it was like. The disciples were digging in deep to their reserves and it was getting them nowhere. We're told, aren't we, if we happen to be swimming in the sea and get dragged out by the current, 
Do you know what we're supposed to do? Do you know what to do? If you're swimming in the sea, what are you supposed to do? Relax. Relax? Yeah. You're meant to just float and let it happen. Do you know why? It's because it's pointless trying to fight against the current. It's far too strong. It's such an unfair match. You are no match for the current sweeping you out. So it's better just to float and wait to be rescued. Here, the disciples were fighting a losing battle. They couldn't win. And it must have been incredibly discouraging. Now, this is important. The disciples were where Jesus told them to be. And the disciples were doing what Jesus had told them to do. But it was rough and scary and they weren't getting anywhere. Isn't that interesting? He goes to show that comfort in this life is no indication at all of whether Jesus loves us. And whether we're walking in obedience to him. Job's friends were lying when they spouted their ideas that the godly live in luxury and the godless suffer. The truth is we can't look at a person's circumstances and figure out whether they're following Jesus faithfully or not. For instance, you know the name Kim Jong-un, the leader of North Korea? I imagine he lives in luxury. He probably has absolutely everything a person could wish for. Does that mean God is pleased with him? On the other hand, there are Christians in North Korea who are in prison because they love Jesus. And they have courageously stood up for owning Jesus publicly. They are where Jesus has placed them and done what Jesus has told them. And yet they suffer horrendously. Jesus tells us later in John's gospel. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So what kind of life does Jesus promise those who follow him? He promises trouble, trials, tribulation. Not luxury. Jesus guarantees a hard life if we are dedicated in following him. But that's not the end of the story. And that's not the complete picture. Because he also says that he tells us this so that we would have his peace. And he tells us to take heart because he has overcome the world. So yes, we'll have trouble but we have Jesus with us in the trouble. We have chaos around us, but we have peace because we have Jesus bringing his peace to us. The peace that passes understanding, the peace that comes from the presence of Jesus. And likewise, the story of the disciples in the boat continues. It goes on. Their suffering was not the end of the story for them. Because although they had lost sight of Jesus... Jesus had not lost sight of them. In Mark chapter 6, which is a parallel passage, we read that later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and Jesus was alone on land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. There's that little detail that Jesus was far away, but he, his eye was on them. 
it implies that he knows what they're going through and he knows what you're going through as well. They couldn't see him, but he could see them. Up on the mountain, Jesus sees the desperate and discouraged disciples and his beautiful feet would go to them with good news. His beautiful feet walks Jesus down the mountain. His beautiful feet walks him onto the shore. His beautiful feet then do something that you and I have never done. We're used to putting our foot up at the seaside and putting it into the water to go for a swim. But Jesus lifted his beautiful foot up and it didn't go in the water. It went on the water. It's hard to imagine because we've never experienced it and we can't get our heads around how that is even possible. But Jesus does the impossible. He places his foot on the water and he goes the water to meet his discouraged disciples it's hard to imagine and they were scared at the sight of Jesus they thought he was a ghost but Jesus cooled out with the best news he calls out it is I don't be afraid it don't be afraid by walking on the water Jesus shows us that he is the living God we were thinking about how he fulfills the Old Testament in our passage earlier today. And it's the same kind of thing going on here. Because it is the Lord who walks on the water. Did you know that? In Job, Job says in chapter 9, He alone stretches out the heavens and treads on the waves of the sea. That's the Lord. And the Lord says to Job in Job chapter 38, have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Now, after saving the nation of Israel out of Egypt, the Lord went ahead of his people in a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night. And most famously, when they were caught between the Red Sea on one side and the vehemently ferocious army of the Egyptians on the other side, the Lord made a way for them through the waters. And the psalmist sings in Psalm 77 of that occasion, The waters saw you, God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. The clouds poured down water. The heavens resounded with thunder. Your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind. Your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea. Your way through the mighty waters. Though... Your footprints were not seen. You see, this isn't just some miraculous thing that Jesus did. He's not showing off. Hey, I can do the impossible. Trust in me. It is a miraculous and amazing thing. Yes, but it is also the hallmark sign of the living God. It is saying that Jesus is the God who has made himself known throughout all of history. And what is a key detail in all this is when Jesus calls out to his disciples. In our translation, in the NIV, it says, it is I, but literally it says, I am. Which is the special personal name of the living God. He calls out, I am, don't be afraid. So he is walking the walk and he is talking the talk of the great God of all creation, the Saviour of God's people 
And that is an amazing encouragement. The disciples are defeated by the waves, but their Lord comes to them trampling on their problem. Trampling on the waves. The storm was too much for them. They couldn't handle it, but it's no match for Jesus at all. And he comes to them and says, I am. Don't be afraid. We're told by Jesus countless times. Well, you could count them, but a lot in the Bible. Don't be afraid. And do you know why Jesus keeps on saying to you, don't be afraid? Firstly, it's because trusting Jesus means we shouldn't be afraid of anything. Because Jesus is greater than anything that we might be afraid of. The second thing is Jesus doesn't want you to live in fear. That's why he tells you don't be afraid. That's not his plan for you. And then the third thing, the reason why we're told over and over not to be afraid is because I forget and I become afraid even when I know I shouldn't be. So Jesus comes to us and he says, I am. Don't be afraid. So I wonder what you're afraid of. Spiders. Health problems, financial worries, the future, the past, tomorrow, money, that relationship. Trusting Jesus means we shouldn't be afraid of anything. He walks on the water. It's not a problem for him. He died on the cross and he rose again so that he can bring you the good news don't be afraid. He's dealt with your biggest problem and he loves you and he'll help you. You know, I've got two little girls, Megan and Enid, and sometimes they'll bring me a doll, one of their precious little dolls, and they'll be in pieces, so upset, daddy, 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 look, and present to me the doll and its leg has come off. And they think, look what's happened, isn't it awful? And it means everything to them. And maybe they look at me and are disconcerted because I don't seem as concerned about the doll as they are. But it's not because I don't love them. What's the difference is I know that the solution is really easy for me. I just take the doll and I click the leg back in and I give it back to them and they've forgotten all about it in the next five minutes. What was such a big problem for my precious little girl was simple for me. I just click it in and there we go. And we get so bound up and stressed out. And Jesus is like, that is small potatoes. Let me have that worry. He walks on the water with his beautiful feet and he brings us the good news. I am. Don't be afraid. And you know what? As we close, you can have beautiful feet too. Not by getting tips from Nigel, but you can have beautiful feet by walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You know, people are so scared and they don't know why. People are living in fear and they don't have to be. You can bring them the good news. Your feet can be beautiful. You can tell them that there's Jesus and he's real and he loves them. And they don't need to be afraid of anything. There you have beautiful feet as you follow the beautiful feet of Jesus.